This has to do with your confidence. This has to do with your sense of self-worth, self-esteem, and self-love. If you can't take a compliment, you have to look at that emotionally. Why can't you take a compliment? Is it because your subconscious is always saying mean things about you to yourself? Do you talk badly about yourself? Do you insult yourself to yourself on a constant basis? Is it automatic for you to think terrible things about yourself? This is why we all need therapy, man. But it's it's important to understand these negative thoughts because when you hear a compliment and you resist it, it's because you, for some reason, don't think it's true. And one mm. way to really combat that is to take a moment when somebody says, that performance was one of the best I've ever heard of this piece. Just take a deep breath let it resonate in your body let it resonate in your psyche and accept it as truth because it is somebody else's truth and then what i like to say is because it, it's different if so, somebody did this to me once and it really felt good and it felt different they said i received that thank mm. you if you and you and it's okay to receive it i think we want to be humble but being humble isn't rejecting compliments. Being humble is understanding that you can always get better. The quest of improvement is endless. And this is the journey of life. It's not ever a destination. It's all about the journey. So if you can take these little moments of compliments, they're like pit stops. They're like putting gas in your tank, bro. Without gas, you run, you, you burn out. You can't keep going forward. Take these moments of compliments where people feel something about you and refuel your tank. And then maybe one day you'll get to a point where you can do it yourself too. Because every time you say something negative about yourself, you're taken from your tank. But try to find ways to, to stop that and let other people help Welcome, everybody, to the Faking Faking Notes Notes Podcast. Podcast. It's the podcast. Welcome. Oh, my gosh. Today, essential social skills for musicians. It's just you and me, baby. It's just you and me, Trevor. (laughs) It's just us. I, I I know I get really nervous around talking with you after all these 200 hours. and I'm quaking, bro. I'm quaking. I'm quaking. So when it's not just us. We have to go out and talk to other people, oh, other people, networking, ah, the big scary word, meeting new people. We've got a lot of introverts in this space. How are we going to go out and talk to people? How are we going to meet new people in our community, meet other musicians, meet other artists, talk to someone to invest in us, give us money? And how do we do it in a way that doesn't make us look dumb and destroy our... <laughs> And destroy our reputation. We're going to get into all of that today. But before we do that, please remember to subscribe to our podcast. Your subscriptions really help us grow. It'll deposit a nice, very nice, neat new episode every single week into your feed. So you And it'll download so you don't even have to worry about it. You could just listen to us 
once again. Also, if you have some time, please send us a review. Your feedback is literally how we survive. You could leave an awesome review, five stars only, like Viola Katie, who said, amazing hosts. This podcast is a real gem for the music community. I always come away from each episode with lots of inspiration and plenty of good laughs. As a relatively young musician, this podcast has helped me navigate common issues one may face while pursuing a career in music. Love the energy. I definitely recommend this show. So if you want to get a little bit of a read in the spotlight, thank you, Viola Katie, for the thank wonderful you, Viola Katie. review. If you want to get a chance to show up at the beginning of our episode, leave us a review. Five stars only. Five Four stars. stars if you're like, if you got a real gripe that has some weight behind it, because we also value getting better. And that's what we're here to do. We're all faking notes, but when you're faking notes, you're getting a little bit better each time. And yeah, thank you so much for your support. Please join the Discord. It's the best way to interact with us where we're growing a community on there. It really fills us in between each episode. We want to hear from you. We want to interact with you. And the Discord's the best way to do that. Uh, also, give us your money on Patreon. Mm -hmm. Give us your money. So with our Patreon subscribers, that's a direct way to support us. Literally. We have a lot of exclusives on Patreon. We drop a bonus episode every month. We're getting all of these movie nights, private recitals, games, a lot of fun events coming on there. Without further ado, let's get into it, bro. Business time. Let's start with networking, right? It's like that weird, dirty word that we always hear, especially in the classical music space. When we were at Juilliard, I, I met you through doing a lot of the lunch and learns and all the entrepreneurial symposiums that they would have. And I remember my first semester going to a couple of different seminars on networking. And whenever the person, whether it's Jessica Meyer or it's Jessica Grand or, or, or any of the other wonderful alumni that came back to talk to us, whenever they said the word networking, you could see everybody in the audience physically like deflate and just be like, oh God, here we go. But it's not that bad, right, Trevor? It's not that bad. It's this big spooky word and there's so much that goes into it. You're going to hear this word for the rest of your life. And for me, it was just a matter of embracing it and realizing that it's a normal part of being an artist and being a human. We grew as a species because of communication. Mm -hmm. Our ears formed in certain ways to get better at directional hearing. We formed tribes and communities. And like literally, our, our, we needed more people to be facing other directions to watch out for the dangerous animal. We are reliant upon each other. Wow, mm -hmm. we went way back. We went to caveman times and oh, dude, evolution. That's, but see, that's the equipment that we're working with still. <laughs> you know what I mean? We have technology. We're talking through Zencaster. We're looking at show notes on Dropbox paper. But at the end of it, the way we still do things, the way we communicate with each other is relatively primitive. And it's, so understanding this is a key in understanding how you can relate to other people. And speaking of that, on this print of nature, so much goes into this from body language, looks, pre preconceived notions, bias, the space you're in, uh, power dynamics. There's so many varying things. And I get why networking is so stressful and confusing and can be terrifying because it, it's this weird burden. You're relying upon it. And you hear this phrase all the time with artists. Uh, I want my art to speak for itself. 
but that's never been the case. <laughs> there will always yourself, dude. <laughs> like there will always be context around it. Mm-hmm. Always. And the days to where someone else is representing your art and running out there and there's someone who's who's doing all of this for you are are essentially gone. Mm-hmm. But I don't want that to be uh, a bad thing. We want to be comfortable with being advocates for ourselves and our arts. So we've got a bunch of topics today, but really focusing in on this big, scary word networking. And so I'd like to think of it more as just, it's just communicating. Like just I don't have friends. Just being, it's just making just chilling out. friends. Just We're chilling. Out. The best thing that I ever realized for myself was that networking isn't really for business. It isn't about getting something. It isn't about extraction. Mm. It's really about making friends and relationships. Yep. And so the moment I stopped going to things because I knew that person has something I want or they're in charge of some ensemble or I have to go talk to them because they're a teacher at so-and-so, the moment I started just <laughs> treating people like humans and just going to talk to them and interact with them and just find out more about who they are and try to sow the seeds of a friendship, suddenly it got a lot easier. But also, it got a lot more fruitful. I got a lot more out of it. Almost everything you go to, for instance, in New York, in the music community, you're networking. It's a lot of these concerts. And so I'd go to the concert and I think they saw me at the concert. That was good enough. Be kind of tired. I'd listen through the piece and I'd leave. (laughs) If I didn't stick around and interact with anyone, other than the joy of the music, I might as well have not gone. Yeah. It's all it's the the after party. It's the hang after mm-hmm. to where you actually forge meaningful relationships. Mm-hmm. Look back at your college experience, if you've gone through college or if you're in it or your high school or wherever you are in life and think back upon good memories, what felt good, what sticks out in your head. It's not those hours in the practice room. It's those interesting conversations. It's the interesting people you met at these things. It's the odd conversation of where something got derailed and then you went down this rabbit hole or you found out this weird, quirky interest about someone and you followed it through. Those are the memories, the good times at college, the parties, the crazy mishaps, this and the narrative and the story. It's not always about this raw work that you're doing. We remember these moments. And so you want to be able to come in and share these moments with others, and extract these moments from other people. So, Drew, we're going in at these networking events. What does networking really mean to you? How do you find success? How do we feel comfortable at a networking event? Yeah, man. So I want to start with a couple of things. I first want to start with an admission of not being perfect at this. And I want to let you know, the listener, faking family, it's okay to make mistakes. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to do things that make people feel weird. You're going to be awkward. You have to accept that. It's like with anything, you only get good at it by doing more of it, getting more sample sizes, getting more experience. So there are a few things that I've learned as I've done this I've been networking my entire life, literally recess, just playing basketball with people, playing tag in between classes, talking to people at the lockers. We're all used to this. It's literally chilling and hanging out with people. The first thing that I realized when I learned that I got a little bit better at this was that confidence is key. This is everything, right? Your belief in yourself to do what you came 
here to do on planet Earth is super important. And if you don't know what you're here to do, that's okay. We've talked about this before. Some things that I do that make, if if I have a really busy day and I have to network, there are a couple things that I do. I wake up, I brush my teeth, and I make my bed. Those two actions instill a level of base confidence in myself that I carry on for the rest of the day. So typically what I would do is if I need to practice, I get a little bit more confident. I do things in my everyday life that help me feel confident as a person in my core. And then when I go and I meet other people, I chill out. (laughs) I know who I am. I know what I'm here to do. And then when you go to that networking event, it's not about you. That's the thing. Confidence also comes from understanding that it's not about you. You are important, yes, but you have a role to play. And when you're networking, your role to play is to learn about other people, as Trevor Stutley stated. Your goal is to figure out what people want, what are their dreams, what are their goals, what are their desires, and then finding out if there is a way that you can assist them. Oftentimes, the big no-no of networking is going into an interaction and thinking, that you're going to extract value out of them. You're going to get something from them. You're going to get something from this relationship. You wouldn't do that with a date. (laughs) I mean, if you do, you're probably not going to be successful, gentlemen. But I'm telling you, it's very true. You need to see people as their own individual stories, their own individual universes, their own cosmoses of wants, needs, failures, fears, and accept them and love them for who they are, listen to them actively. And then if you see an opportunity where you can altruistically maybe give some advice if they ask for it, or if you, or be generous with your contacts, be like, oh, you can be at, so what I would do, and this is just my experience, throughout my time in New York, I put number one in my priority, networking. So doing my social media was my form of networking. I was putting out my work. I was telling my story. And sometimes people would pop into my DMs and say, hey, you want to get coffee? I always said yes. It didn't matter if they're a musician. It didn't matter if they were a fitness instructor. It didn't matter. I would take the 30, 45 hour long it took to have a conversation with this person. And the ROI of that has been immeasurable. One of those people is someone I'm trying to, we're hoping to get on the podcast is Braxton Cook, a wonderful saxophonist, fellow Juilliard alumni. In the result of us having a, just a chill conversation at, it was at, what is that spot on Columbus Circle? 59th, it's on the corner. Argo T. We were at Argo, Argo T. T. Who else met there? Who? Us. Us. <laughs> Dude, that was one of my favorite spots. It was right off the is right off the one train. And it was really close to my 57th and 7th stop on the end. Juilliard Global Ventures office was across the street. So oh, that's right, dude. I could just I mean, walk next day. Dude, door. it dude. And it, it's a walk away from Juilliard. So yeah, it's a great little spot. It's on the corner. It's very central. It's on the corner of Central Park. So I, I love that little spot. Our conversation that day led to me four years later being able to play on a rapper's album that I learned about in that conversation, began listening to, became a fan of, and ha- 
happen to be able to connect with through social media. The thing is, when you just have conversations with people, doors open. And when you are a type of person that, let's say you're having a conversation with an opera singer and you happen to have a friend who writes operas, you being very open with your Rolodex and being willing to and executing the connection between those two people, that is indispensable. If you build a reputation of somebody who's a team player and is happy to connect people, doors will just pop out of the ground in ways and moments that you can't even anticipate. And the last thing I'll add to this is never network with the expectation of reciprocation. Mm -hmm. Never do that. It's like any investment, you're going to lose money, you're going to lose time, but you have to keep investing. You have to keep moving. And one day you'll have an investment that'll pay off all of your losses, but it's just about the consistency. Confidence is such a huge element and to get that, you really have to know yourself. And that's something we'll dig into a little later in this, mm -hmm. this podcast about how to talk about yourself. But that's tough for us. That's really tough as artists because we're striving towards this greatness in art, but there's a lot of we're ashamed and we got to get better and we know we're not there yet. And we have weird idols and there's so much that goes into being an artist and just being a human in general that makes it really yeah. tough to understand our place. We're mm -hmm. always changing. We will always change. And so that can really knock into our confidence. We've all lost a lot in the arts or if you're in sports, you lose a lot. People who are better at the instrument than you. And so it, it can be easy to lose sight of what you're going for. But I think in order to get better at networking situations to where you're interacting with a lot of people, it's just what Drew said. Having the confidence in yourself enough so that it doesn't have to be about yourself which yes. is really what makes network networking the best. And I think it boils down to a few things. One, just like what Drew said, you don't have to expect things out of it. More often than not, it will lead to nothing and nothing will come of it. But just like investing, you don't know which stock's going to take off. You don't know which person's going to take off or going to be the most important person in your, your career. We've talked about it a number of times on this podcast some of the most important people from a job perspective or leading to some other opportunity perspective or just life enjoyment perspective, I never would have guessed at the surface level. I've gotten more great opportunities from people who I was not close with than some of my best friends. That's not Your a knock on the best friends. Do nothing for you. you know, my best friend's fucking useless. Because suck. Because trash. No. But my first job out of Juilliard teaching music production at high-end summer camps across the country was from someone who I was an associate with in undergrad. I just wasn't mean to this grad student. He was really nice. He had an awful experience. I just simply wasn't mean to him like other people were. And he thought of me. I graduated. I go stay with him in Seattle. I teach at this camp. I take over his old job. I work on a musical, an off-Broadway musical. It gets me into the musical space, make a great friendship with the listener of this pod, C Celeste. And Shout out, Celeste. What's good, and that, girl? And mean? that comes through... <laughs> My college ex-girlfriend's friend in grad school who went to high school with Celeste. Oh, my. Like, so that's like, you know, my cousin's <laughs> three times removed. I work on a musical. 
because of an ex's friend who she met after our relationship who had went to high school. It's just absolutely insane. That's and next wild. thing you know, one year later, a musical's popping out off Broadway and it's an awesome experience. My life is littered with these situations. Mm -hmm. Drew, our interaction, we don't interact much at school, but through mm -hmm. John and through mutual interest and one Argo T, we both moved to LA. We have this podcast. So you never know. And my point being, I tell this all the time to students at Julia when we go back and do career service talks, is you just simply don't know. And because of that, I think there's a comfort in that now I don't expect these things to necessarily happen from everyone. Mm -mm. There's no pressure because it is really out of my hands. I can't be reliant on them to do things for me. But what I can do and what is in my control is to create more opportunities for these things to occur. Mm -hmm. I need to mm. speak to more random people. I need to go up after the concert and talk to these people because I don't know which one it is. I'm investing in more people, in more stocks, so to speak, so that one mm. of them may flourish, one of them may take off. And it could be years. It could be the person you least suspect. And so in order to do that, I'm trying to increase my odds and increase my chances that this will turn into something. At the actual event, at these networking events, the confidence helps. Again, we'll keep digging into that as we go on. But like Drew said, it's not about you. Other people love, we all kind of love to talk about ourselves and what we do. Why? It's the person we know best. In air quotes, it's not actually the case. But it's the person we know the most about. It's us. We get most of the story. And we, we like talking about what we're up to. It makes people feel good to be able to communicate the cool things we're doing. And so you're on a mission to extract that information with effective questioning. Mm -hmm. And so we want to have interesting questions that react to what the person has just said. And some textbook things that we try to do, listen to this podcast and some of the guests we talk about. Yes, we do a lot of research that forms the foundation of who we're talking to. But one of the biggest things in our most recent episode when Isabel Hagen returned was discussing this very thing. When we're listening to someone... We're actually listening to them. We are actively listening to what they're saying. Mm -hmm. And then our questions and our follow-up conversations is based off of what they said. This is <laughs> easier said than done. Mm -hmm. We're sitting there thinking about us. Like they're talking, they're saying what they're doing. And we're, you're thinking about your next question and you're already mm -hmm. thinking about how is this worthwhile? Is this? And you spend all this time thinking about it and not actually listening. Having questions and conversation that reacts directly to what they said, for me, that builds up confidence for me. I literally practice this type of thing. Mm -hmm. More on that later. It makes them feel better because it shows you're actually listening. It's human. All we're talking about is these general human instincts. Mm -hmm. We want to feel appreciated. We want to feel respected. We want to feel interesting we want to feel loved and that we want to feel people are engaged with us it's human nature we desire being attracted to mm -hmm. and so you're playing into that when you're actually listening to someone you're forming a deeper connection by responding to the things they're saying not just going down the checklist and that's how you can get these meaningful connections and so what i love in in essence this podcast is deep networking it's someone in there and over the course of two hours, by actually listening, by actually responding, you're connecting to them. Mm -hmm. And so networking events are just a micro version of that. It's mm -hmm. this very similar strategy 
to doing an interview on a podcast. You're figuring out who they are. You're coming in with some prior knowledge, hopefully. And even without that, you're just trying to get a better sense of who they are as a person, not what they can offer you, not trying to suck up to them, not trying to do it to extract something from them. Because again, you never know who's going to be the most important person. You might have ignored that beginner. And the next thing you know, they're your boss. They're the next superstar soloist. You might have ignored that weird person or a person who was in a bad place at the time mm -hmm. when they needed you most. That might be more fruitful than the biggest name at the party. You, you, you just don't know. So for me, it's about playing the odds. It's about trying to forge something beyond the surface level of we can give each other something. Mm -hmm. And that's what I think goes into more effective networking events. Can I also just add and piggyback on you, bro? You hit so many things. I want to drive home, however, because when you talk about networking, when you talk about a lot of things that are a little bit more like social, it feels when you break it down as as deeply as we are, it feels Machiavellian. Mm -hmm. It feels manipulative. But this is it's easy to feel when people are playing you so it works better and it feels better and it's most effective when you actually care <laughs> yeah when you actually mean it like i think the reason why people they feel a certain type of way when they spend time with me is because i don't need anything from you i have everything i need i just want to spend this limited amount of time on earth with you and learn about you and learn a lesson from you and hear you and see you. Then if you come back to that, if you always have that as your center of gravity, you won't do it wrong. The last thing I want to say before we move on to our next topic is try to be, don't think about this person might pop off, right? Mm -hmm. So let me just be friends with it. Cause that's very LA. It's, I just want to have one coffee with you. So maybe you remember and you call me for a gig, right? Instead, try to be the reason that person pops off. Wouldn't it be so much better if this person pops off and they're getting their Grammy, Oscar, their Tony, and then their acceptance speech are like, this would have never happened if Drew <laughs> didn't ever connect me with so-and-so. I'm telling you, try to be the king or queen maker. And when you go in with that sort of like altruism and try to really give to people, you would be so surprised how how wonderful things can turn out for everybody involved we both do this naturally in a sense in our own way like i'm always winding up with when i figure out more about them and i hear their story i'm trying to also figure out their problems and their why which are kind of somewhat related and then how can i help them and like drew said it's this weird thing to where i i think it's great actually is that the machiavellian thing <laughs> The end game that like gets you ahead in business and life mm -hmm. is actually the right thing to do. It's a rare <laughs> time where they align. Like you're yeah. not screwing anyone over. You're literally helping their career, helping them make money, helping them have a better life. And then in turn, they see you doing that for them. It's helpful. I love it when people help me out. I don't want to, I never want to ask for help. So when people offer it, it makes it easier. And so I try to do that for them. When I'm listening to someone, and I've seen Drew do it, and I've seen, and I know I do it too, is that when they're asking something, I'm trying to recommend something. Drew might recommend uh, like a book or a specific topic mm -hmm. or a person. I'll recommend a person. And so 
for example, I've just bumped into a situation where a lot of composers and people ask me, do I know anyone who can play this? And I love that. I stop, I put in energy, and I find them the right person to play their thing. And I'm that in-between. And that is that, in the Machiavellian sense, that king-making shit. Wait a minute. I want to go to him to help me out. Mm-hmm. And not to be like a mafioso, mafioso boss. But there's perks to that. There's, res- there's respect. Mm-hmm. And that they know they can come to you for help. And so being generous with your time and yourself, your time is your most valuable resource. So yes, we have to be protective. You got to respect yourself enough to protect your time. But also, I think right beneath that or somewhere in line with that are these relationships, who you know and what you can do for them. The more and the better and the deeper relationships and the more value you bring to a relationship, that's your next most powerful resource beyond Mm -hmm. anything else. That's what's going to help you go far. So you're at a networking event. Let's get a little more practical here and technical. Mm -hmm. Meeting new people, our next subject. That's one of the more terrifying things is when you walk into a space and you don't really know people. So there's kind of two ways of going around it. There's meeting new people who you know about, and then there's just meeting the raw new person (laughs) you've never spoke to. And so for me, obviously, I think more naturally introverted. I have this weird thing to where I'm very interested in people. With our first networking subject, I'm lucky. I know it's not for everyone, but I'm very interested in people and stories and uniqueness. I like talking to all sorts of people. There's no one I'm afraid of talking to now, but I wasn't always like that at all. I had to work on it. It took me realizing that you're you know, investing in people and that you never know who it's going to be. I gained confidence and insight by just seeing how random my career is and how random this life is. And that knowing I don't need to win every conversation. I don't have to get something from this. I can enjoy the conversation itself. And that makes it easier because I literally enjoy this. I like the challenge of talking to that quiet person or to that weird person or the person people don't like or whatever. <laughs> I, I enjoy talking to to people. And for me, it became like a game. And we love games. (laughs) So I think that helped me. But let me talk about speaking to people who you know things about. One of my good friends, he always joked about me. His name's Jules Pegram, great composer. And he always joked about how he's like, Trevor knows everyone and no one knows Trevor. (laughs) (laughs) Because, like I said, I spent a lot of time when planning my life out, literally like studying up people. Who is becoming successful in the field? Who are these composers? Who is the next thing? And then reading their CVs, reading their websites, like a creeper, like figuring out what steps they took to become successful. I saw music festivals. I saw the top name conservatories. I saw the types of awards. And okay, they've laid out a path for success. I'm going to go do these things. So I just knew a lot about a lot of people. So it can be very helpful when you know something about someone to walk into those situations. I'm very bad with names but I'm very good with faces and weird details. I'll remember what school someone went. I, I know where their cousin grew up. I know all these like weird, creepy things. So don't bring those up, <laughs> but <laughs> use some of that knowledge to your advantage. What is this just like? Again, it's just like an interview on a podcast. You do your research. It helps you. It helps guide the conversation. You can steer it towards a better playing field for you. So, Two very quick real-world examples. Martin Bresnik, great composer at Yale. He's the teacher. He's the head of the department. He's been there for a long time. 
he's the, in air quotes, the kingmaker at Yale. And a lot of people want to go to Yale for a composition. It's a great school, a lot of success coming out there, a lot of great music. And I was very interested in that program. And so he has a concert, his wife plays. Everyone wants to talk to this person because if you're young, you got to go talk to Martin Bresnik so he can get you into Yale or whatever. So there's, of course, a line and I'm about to go up to him and some some student from UT Austin, don't know her name, she mm -hmm. comes in, she, she slips in there, she walks in and she, what does she say? Hi, I know you're at Yale. It'd be so great to like meet you. It'd be possible to take a lesson, blah, blah. You know, went straight for her ask. And it was it was an awkward thing. I kind of had to stand behind yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. And like I had weird? to witness, and I'm like, ooh, that was a <laughs> huge, huge mistake. And he, you could tell he wasn't happy with the conversation. And he said that we actually don't do that at Yale. We can't actually do that for favoritism. We can't have these lessons. If you happen to be in New Haven, maybe a, a coffee or something. But like the conversation went nowhere because she opened up with her ask, and I'm sitting there. I'm like, oh no, don't do that. And so <laughs> no, I have to follow up this. So I walked up, and I was just like. How's your family doing in Australia? Mm. And because there, there are fires down there. Like, and we just have a straight up conversation. Not once did I ask about Yale, if I could meet him for coffee, if I could go to his school, if mm. I could do anything. I did not mention me or what I'm doing. And he remembers me when I show up to things. Might not know my name, but I just didn't ask for stuff. The second example of just going up to someone who you know about. And I'm, I'm referencing, in air quotes, superstars, the, the big person in the room people want to talk to. I went to an event at Paramount. It was, it was the launch of a new music sample library. It was their keynote speech. So it's in the Paramount Studios, the kind of like fancy thing. Mm -hmm. It's iconic. Mm -hmm. And the, one of those main speakers was Junkie XL. It was a release of his music library. And so he did the music for Mad Max, Justice League, Zack Snyder's Cut, like all sorts of these action movies, big names. He's an A-lister now in film scoring, super cool guy. And so everyone there is the composer involved in it. So there's a massive line and everyone comes up and they're like, oh, I just, I love you so much. You're, you're my favorite. And <laughs> yes, it's good to adorn people, but he's just trying to chill. And you can just tell he's a normal dude who just wants to like smoke a cigarette, have a drink after this and like get the hell out and get back to work. And so mm -hmm. everyone's coming up, oh, they're asking him, how do you program your drums? Composerly shit. I don't want anyone to come ask me how to, like, oh, which doll do you use? And, oh, I just, <laughs> I love you. And are you looking for any assistance? And so we're standing mm -hmm. in this line, and I've been waiting. And he's really funny. He's really personable. He's a character. And so finally, he's, like, looking around, and he goes down the line. He's going one by one with his eyes. Oh, I love your drums. How do you get them so big? Oh, like, how did you start off in this career? Oh, blah, blah, blah. And it gets to me. And so Junkie XL has this YouTube series. He shows his cool studio. He talks about film scoring. He talks about the business. It's really open. It's really personable. It's great. He released one video <laughs> that was about cooking. Mm -hmm. And it was great. It's how to make carbonara. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like his mom's recipe. And he's like, I make this for my assistants. It's a 50-minute video of him talking about cooking. And so it is funny. And so it gets to me. And this is the time to ask my question. And what do I ask? I ask about that. Video. I said, mm -hmm. I, I was like, I can finally make like carbonara now. Like, thanks for that. Um, <laughs> and he's like, and I'm like, nice. do you have any more cooking videos in the works? Yeah. And he loses it. He, he's just like, yeah. finally a real question. I knew this about them. Uh, like yeah. I knew this about this dog. And we just have this weird moment. We're one-on-one -on -one in the room and he's laughing and he's happy. Because for the first time, someone asked him for something that wasn't about music. Mm. 
And so we had this whole conversation. There's literally like a camera crew filming this. We had mm-hmm. this whole conversation about cooking. He's like, yeah, I talked to the so-and-so. We were going to try to film. He's this like famous barbecue person. We were going to like do this whole thing. And I got back backlogged and we just haven't quite gone around to it. But I want to do this barbecue cooking video. And I've been like planning and this back and forth. I got four times more interaction with him than all the drum sample or adorning him or asking him to have a thing. Because I talked to him about his goofy little cooking video, the weird quirk about him. And then everyone's suddenly looking at me, who the hell is this guy? In a good way. They're like, shit, why didn't we just talk to him about normal stuff? Why didn't we think of that? It was just a, a great textbook moment. And there's plenty of these like that to where using the knowledge you have about that person to your advantage but not making it about yourself, not asking them the dry question, something deeper, something personable, their family, where they grew up, something related to the piece that you just saw them talk about, but beyond that, something real. I saw him again later at an event. We had follow-up about the food. You could tell he remembered. Mm-hmm. So one of the most formative books I ever read about dealing with people is by Dale Carnegie. It was written in the 30s, 1930s, How to Win Friends and Influence People. If you're really interested in getting some of the basics, that is the book to do. Uh, that's the book to read, not to do. You don't do books. Ugh. <laughs> if you do, you're a weirdo. I, do books. I love you, but you're a weirdo. Okay, so <laughs> here's a couple of things. So I want you to understand that feeling awkward is okay. When you're feeling awkward and you meet a new person, That's part of, you got to get used to awkwardness. Just take a moment. Let the side, if there's a silence, let it marinate, take a deep breath. And often by this point, your counterpart that you're speaking with at at a networking event will have asked a question about you. And this is your moment. You could keep it brief and then reciprocate the question. And even more so, like maybe even encourage elaboration from your counterpart, the person you're speaking with. That's huge. That's huge. But here's some more principles that I want you to try to employ in your everyday life, faking fam. If you're an introvert, you're just like us. (laughs) Trevor and I, we're like musicians, we're classical musicians. Like Spending time with people, although I love it, it drains my energy. So practicing social skills is huge. Talk to your grocery store workers. Just ask them. Don't even ask them how their day is or the weather. Like, try to find something about them. Just take two seconds to look at them and give them a compliment. Now, flattery is very different. Flattery is something that comes from a very shallow place. It is often something that people will say when they want something from somebody. Oh, mom, you look so pretty today. Can I go outside? Like, (laughs) Flattery is not the same thing as complimenting. Complimenting somebody is finding something that is maybe a little more surface level, maybe less than surface level, maybe a little deeper and can happen later on in the interaction. Let's just say somebody has a really cool sense of self, right? Like they, they are laid back. They don't really, they're not worried about trying to meet everybody. You can remark, I I'm super nervous right now, but I really admire how you're just chilling. 
You just like, where does that come from? Did you you work out today? Like what's going on? How are you so chill? And and can you teach me? Find something that you genuinely admire about somebody and then voice that. That is a compliment. Okay. And compliments can go a long in building rapport. And when you're dealing with somebody who's a new stranger, somebody you've never met, building rapport means building a bond with them. And it's not hard. It just takes being a, an attentive listener, like we said before, throwing in a nice compliment once you've learned something about them. And then this is key. Remember names. This is hard for everyone, especially if you meet people all the time. Journaling helps. Especially like if you go to a party, journal about the party, just write about the experiences, the things people talked about, and you'd be surprised how much you remember. We all remember faces, right? I'm really good at remembering faces, but it's hard to remember their names. And if you can associate their name with a unique trait about them that may coincide with their looks or may coincide with what they're passionate about, That'll help you remember their name. Another tip in remember names is using it immediately or within 10, 15 seconds of them telling it to you in a question. Like, Trevor, that's so interesting what you said about that. Can you elaborate? I will connect you with everyone. I will <laughs> give you whatever you want because you remember my name. No, it's, as someone who's horrible at remembering names, like I said, very good at all the creepy details and terrible at remembering names. I, I thought that was okay, but then I realized how important and how respectful it is to know someone's name. And particularly because Drew's talked so much about it. Back when I was in New York and I was teaching all of these people and teaching all of these students, the thing I noticed, particularly for children, the respect in knowing someone's name. And I knew I was terrible at it. So just like almost everything we've talked about, I did not have those skills. I did not enjoy it. And I just didn't do it. I had to work at it. We had to practice in everyday life. So just the practical tip about remembering the names as a teacher, I, I started Googling like I always do for literally everything in my life. It's like how to, how to get better at remembering students' names. Because I remember one semester went on and it's like a month or two in and I'm still fishy. That's terrible because then it's too awkward. You're not going to ask. I'm I'm very I, I'm not great at pronouncing things. I was just like tongue tied growing up, so like I struggle and I feel self conscious. I'm some idiot that I can't pronounce things. But I made an omission, particularly for my youngest students, those are middle schoolers, that I was gonna show them respect that most adults don't give them. I was going to remember their name and use it often. And so the strategy I found that worked and that I looked up was for your first day in class or even the second day. Put in tons of time into this. Literally make games about learning their names. Like Name put in games. energy. And because if you do that in the first day and you put in 40, 50 minutes into really ingraining their names, then you don't have to do it ever again. And they respect mm-hmm. you because no one shows these kids respect in most of their life. They're just mm-hmm. told what to do. Um, they're told how to think. They don't get any ownership. And one of the few things they have is their name. And so the strategy I found, ask them to tell you their names. I never read off of a roll call sheet ever. That was the strategy. I said, in day one, you don't go down the list and have them raise their name and you know say who they are. I, what I would do is, I would, and I did this for the college students too, I'd walk in front of the desk, say, hi, nice to meet you. What is your name? And so I had them tell it to me and I would say it back there. 
and I introduced myself to them. I would walk to the next desk. Hi, what is your name? Nice, nice to meet you. My name is Trevor. Excited for this year. Next desk. Hi, and repeat that. And while that's goofy and weird, the college students loved it. Adults loved it. The kids loved it. And they actually remember their names day one, right then and there. And there's something, because there's something about them telling you it. You start to hear their inflection and how they say it. That makes it more ingrained and you saying it back and you're doing it instantly. I never had to check another roll sheet again. You know, it's funny, like at leadership conferences, summer camps, symposiums, they often have icebreakers at the beginning where they have name games. One name game that was like really formative for me was picking a city that has the same beginning letter as your name and going around a circle and and doing games where like you go around and you say this I'm Denver Drew that's what I was <laughs> you know what I'm saying and this is Albuquerque Anna and then you just you do that and you go all around the circle and you repeat it and then you play a couple games like a uh, couple games like just like that if I ever have parties where it's like a networking event and things like that that is the way to do it and you can play these games in your own head you just have to remember the golden rule. The sweetest sound to every person on planet Earth is the sound of their own name. And if you can remember that, you can change the dynamic of rapport in a positive way immediately. It's one of the first words you ever are taught to write in school. It's one of the first words you ever hear. And beside, don't touch that. And no, don't do that. No, stop, stop, stop. Stove hot. <laughs> stop, stop hot. Yeah. Um, the last little strategy and yeah. one that just returned to me. Why is it hard to remember people's names, particularly these new ones who you've just walked up to? It's because you introduce yourself, you say the name first, and then you leave behind. And only then do you find out interesting things about that person. You learn who they are. You start your line of questioning, your inquiry, your detective skills. You're going in there. You're providing value. And you're like, wait, who the, who the hell was that? So another strategy I've seen and started to work on is to not always stress too much about the name initially in these little interactions, but to learn about them and then do the introduction and then do the name because then you're attaching it to that person's story. It has something to cling on to because the name in itself is kind of useless. A name can be the least interesting thing about a person, even though it bears such importance to their identity. It's just a name. They didn't choose it. It was assigned to them. Exactly. But if you learn about it afterwards, you finally have a story to attach it. Two other little practical things. Drew, what Drew said was great. I literally started to do this once I arrived at LA. And I started to meet almost exclusively people I didn't know. And I wanted to practice this. I would go to a meeting, interact with someone, and then I would write that down in my Evernote. Their name, mm -hmm. little facts about mm -hmm. them. I bet for our upcoming guest of our upcoming guest, Chris Bowers. I have notes after interacting with him. It's kind of creepy, uh, but, it's but I can review that. Yeah. I, I can go back and look at, wait, I talked to so-and-so. They lived on a fishing boat in Alaska. Mm -hmm. I mentioned this. They like that. Little bullet point things so that when I can interact with them later, I'm not coming in unguarded. I've practiced this. Drew mentioned talking to the grocery store person. At least for me, when I realized that I actually want to practice this, it made it fun made it a game. I made it a challenge to talk to random people. And I found the easiest place to do this is when you're sitting in your Uber or your Lyft. 
Yep. It's just you and someone else. No one talks to them all day, but they're doing something for you. They'll talk your ear off if you just ask a couple of questions. I ask. I always get in there. Hi, how are you doing? Pleasantries. And so that they know we can initiate. I'm like, so are you just getting started or are you almost almost done for the day? Like, when do you typically drive? And just from that little, it's about what we're in. It's about the scenario. about their, the time they lost their ball. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's a nice, easy segue because I can find out a lot about them if they're going to be driving all night, if this is their second job, or just by the time that they tell me. And how they interact and how their day is going. Oh man, this is going to be my last trip. And all that's great. And the next thing you know, I'm finding out if they're in school, if they have a family, if all these other. I've been in hour plus long rides where I've just talked the entire time. There was a trip. We were going to the LAX on Thanksgiving. It was the day they took that famous photo that just showed the 405 act up for 12 Mm -hmm. years. Mm -hmm. And I was in that photo somewhere at a little Uber there. (laughs) And it was like a three hour trip. And I talked with the Uber driver the entire time. And Amy, she's just happy to have me in that vehicle because she doesn't want to talk to anyone. She's asleep. And I'm just talking. She's like, wakes up. She's like, is this still going? And I'm talking to this guy the whole time about tech and AWS and how they are the internet and all these like things. Wow. Do you work in in tech? Like, how do you know all these things? And Amy just rolls her eyes like, oh, God. His (laughs) ego is just just going to be humongous. Wow. Do you know all these things? You just work in tech. She's like, oh, because he never shuts up about stuff. But I've, I practiced, I'd prepare for that moment. I try to see how engaging I can be with the person, how interested I can be in what they're doing and see if I can provide value to this conversation. When I made it somewhat of a game and knowing that I needed to practice it, it became fun. How long can I talk to this person and make it interesting, not just like surface level weather stuff? How long and how deep can I get with a complete stranger who I will probably never see again in my life. So for me, that's a great place to start because you're already there. You're not doing anything. Take that moment to learn about them. And that has since it's helped me with this podcast. This podcast has helped me with interactions with other people out there. We've had recent experiences at parties together. We just went to a big yeah. chain music birthday party we can talk about to where it was like a time warp. We're back there talking with classical musicians, a community I've barely interacted with in years. It's, it's just neat to see and like to go out and like practice these things. The conversations we had at that party, I probably wouldn't have gone to the party to begin with a few years ago. Mm. But I also probably would have just not gone up to people, been a little nervous, had meaningless conversations, had I not put in the practice all these years. Dude, this podcast has made me really good at listening, really good at asking questions. Michelle, my girlfriend was so, she's still to this day, it's like, <laughs> Trevor surprised the heck out of me. I thought he would be so quiet, awkward, but he was talking to everybody and everybody was like, this Trevor guy's kind of, this Trevor guy's cool. You know what I mean? Like you, you crushed it, man. You were the bell of the ball. The I, but the I ball. had to practice it. Like that's like the, the crazy thing. It's okay. There's a pool table. Let's go play this, but that's let's cool. make it fun for them. Mm-hmm. let's make it interesting. Let's teach them a new game, reward them how they're playing with laughter. And so there were obviously a lot of awkward people who aren't used to talking to people a lot. They're musicians. They're people Classical maybe music's even, hard mode. And it's English as mode. a second language. <laughs> and people who I we went to yeah. Juilliard with who I'd never spoken to once. Yeah. Yeah. And so I went up to them, either if I already knew a little bit about them, how have you been? How have you been through all this pandemic? Like genuine concern through it or what interests you? Tell me a little bit about yourself and your story. So what have you been up to outside of music these days? 
And the next thing you know, we're on the journey. Flood it's because of practice, making it a game. And it's because of just, I genuinely wanted to know about them. I'm removed from this classical music world. They're not necessarily of an air quotes value to me. I don't really want to do a lot of these old gigs and things I used to do, but I do want to know more about them as a person. And that's what makes it Heck yes. Wow. We have covered so much material. We have a little bit more for you coming up soon, but let's just jump really quickly. We had a couple of questions from the Discord and wanted to address them. I asked on Discord, have you ever been in social situations and you didn't know what to do? Do you have any questions about networking? Ask away and we'll include them in the episode. So Travis, member of the uh, member of the Discord, was Discord. like, I find it easier to talk to old people who I've never met before than talking with my friends at parties. Do you resonate, Trevor? But I, particularly with old people, we've talked about in the past. I've joked, <laughs> I just love old people because I'm interested in weird, quirky stories and they've lived a life. Yeah. They're chock full of stories. Also, there's this weird, sad thing in America. We don't really respect old people. It's been lost. Oh, they're getting senile and they're just falling apart and blah, blah, blah. No, I, I love old people and I show them uh, respect. They've leveled up. They've survived somehow. Look, they they have wisdom. They have experience. They have data. And I think we as classical musicians actually have a, a an advantage because we're around old people all the time. And we play music hundreds of years old, you know? So we play on like the cruise ship, dude. Like the average, m- the median age was like 72. <laughs> so so I, I totally feel you. Old people can be really easy to talk to, especially if you come from a perspective of asking questions and being curious because they have plenty to offer and they love doing it. Casey W212 also chimed in and she said, I always feel awkward going up to people who I want to meet, who's playing I admire, or I like their compositional works, etc." But it's just weird to see how to approach them without seeming weird, especially since I'm only 17. So do you have any tips on how to approach? This is something that's seen in dating. This is something at a networking event too. It's hard to, how do you walk up to somebody, Trevor? This is a great question. This is a great question. Since I'm constantly had to walk up to composers (laughs) who I admired and I want to say something about their piece. I think a lot of what we said earlier directly ties into this. Always just put yourself in their shoes. You can't. You can never be in anyone else's shoes, but you can certainly try. Are they always getting the same question? Are they always getting the same admiration? And that's why I try to come in with the interested question that I'm Mm -hmm. interested in. I'm invested in them. So maybe it's something you can open up, something special about that piece. The biggest insult to a composer is to walk up and say, oh, that was interesting, because that means you didn't like it. (laughs) But interesting doesn't mean anything. Oh, I really liked it. That doesn't really mean anything. If you can think of why. Yeah, what did you like? Wow, you were like one of the first people I blah, 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 blah. Something more specific. Or I just really thought it was interesting. I haven't heard a, a piece for violin that sounds like that. Something special in their bio that you can get out of your ask. And I think... You use your confidence in yourself and your age as an advantage. And that literally goes for all ages. If you're younger, 
they're going to come in with that bias of, oh, okay, this person's younger. They might not be able to do anything for me. They're just going to come ask me for something. If it's a famous faculty member at some school, Martin Bresnik has to deal with young people coming up to him, sucking <sighs> up with him for the sole reason of trying to go to Yale. And that's sad. That's tiring. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's so tiring. We were fortunate to know a couple of like founders of like very successful companies. And people, when they walk up to them, it's surface level crap because they want their money. That's just draining. They're breaking the rule. Yeah. They're trying to get something out of the interaction. That's breaking the rule. It's breaking the rule. It's breaking the rule. And so if you walk up and I think genuine, just being genuine and sincere, you can love their piece, love their thing. Just give it something tangible that they're not always hearing. I think that's what works for the big name people. The other strategy simply for me is what I mentioned before. You're like the... Benedict Cumberbatch's uh, Sherlock, like you're staring at their watch and you're like, you're reading the, oh oh man, like they wrote with a quill and this quill was from India and so they've been to India. And you're just looking for something to open up the conversation. And if you don't have that, I don't like to ask where people work because not everyone wants to talk about their work. Some people aren't working. It makes them suddenly feel terrible. Some people hate their jobs. Some people, they came to that place to not talk about work. And for musicians, Playing the instrument all the time is work. You're desperate to talk about something else. And so what I like to do is ask them like, hey, so you know, what interests you this day? Or so crypto what's your story? Are what are you up again, to? Bro. <laughs> what? The crypto markets are down yeah, again. Bro. Yeah, man. Like, yeah. what are your thoughts on Bitcoin? But I open it up. I, I keep it directed but ambiguous enough so that they can take me where they want to take it. If I ask them, so what's your story? What led you? Like, why are you here? What have you been up to lately as opposed to what have you been working on? If they want to talk about their work, they'll start to talk about it. If they want to talk about their cute dog or their little kid, they'll talk about it. Or if the wife's expecting, whatever, you're giving them an opportunity and then just follow them on their journey. What about you, Drew? What are your strategies of walking up to the elders or the bigger names? You know what? It's a little different for me now because I've put in the work and it's weird, but whenever I go to places where there are classical musicians, there are people that I admire, the chances, it's a 50-50 that they've heard of me before, which is weird. So I don't feel that pressure necessarily. I'm actually excited when they haven't heard of me. And I then just try to make them laugh. I think that trying to make people laugh and just being silly and being a little childish is cool. A 21st century thing you can do now with conversations like, yo, if I asked you to pull out your phone and show me the most recent meme you downloaded, what, what would it be? Like, can you show me your most recent meme that's been making you laugh? It'd be, it'd be one by uh, producer Daniel on the call because he makes the best memes for us. Hell yeah, <laughs> dude, join the Discord. But that's what I'm saying. There are ways that you can really relate to people, especially people you admire without being creepy or weird. Another thing is if you're at the same event, comment about something at the event. Did somebody say something super awkward during the assembly? Be like, I guess the, I I hate the fact that the the MC said the N word, man. That was kind of (laughs) awkward. You know, know, it didn't happen. Just, I'm just spitballing. You know what I mean? What, one thing that I learned from improv because remember that was a thing? Oh, I remember. I remember. remember that was a thing. Dude, it's not to take any interaction too seriously and just have fun. 
just have fun. Because if you're having fun, chances are other people are having fun, especially if it's not at the expense of somebody else. It could be even at the expense of yourself, which used sparingly can be incredibly powerful. And this also leads me to our next little thing, talking about yourself. One way to build rapport with people, especially people you're meeting at a networking event or on a date or wherever you're meeting new people, is to have the self-awareness to know that you're weird and that's okay. Self-deprecating humor is incredibly powerful. And if you spilled something on your shirt, just say, (laughs) you should see the other guy. Let's say you spilled wine on your shirt and it looks like blood. Just be like, man, you should see the other guy, you know, especially if they make a comment about it. When you are confident in yourself, when things don't go your way, if you can just appreciate that you'll be okay, no matter what happens, people really resonate with that. And one of the things that is essential when people eventually will ask you about yourself is to do it in a way where you don't come across as arrogant, right? There's a spectrum, right? There's confidence on one side and there's arrogance on the other side. And you want to be somewhere in the middle where you can talk your shit, but you also make it known that you're not perfect and that you're human and that you have flaws and quirks in your personality and you are relatable because if people can't see themselves in you, they can't really, it's hard for them to connect with you. Relatability. Let's talk about some specific scenarios. So something's going to come up for both the question askers who are on the younger side, but everyone else who's listening to this is you're going to start performing and people are going to start coming up to you. They're going to be worried about talking to you. It might be hard to imagine now, depending on where you are in your state in life, but you are important to someone and they're going to be just as nervous to come speak to you as you are of them. It's like spiders. You're, don't, you're just as scared of spiders. them as they are. You're, spider, spiders. But something that's going to come up that I see a lot of people do is that you co- they come up and they compliment you. Oh shit, like. What do I do? And but I didn't play that piece that well. I made a mistake in measure 64, my intonation. And so you instantly jump to like defecting their comment, compliment. And uh, oh, I wasn't that good. That. Oh, I didn't play my best. Do not do, do that. It doesn't matter if you went don't up there and you laid a brick. You just, sh- you shat on that concert hall. It was an it embarrassment. Happens. It's going to happen. Mm-hmm. It happens to literally everyone. You accept that compliment. Why? Because self-deprecating humor can be and used it's like seasoning used correctly can be an incredibly effective tool to show confidence. You're confident enough mm-hmm. in yourself to pick on yourself, to share the laugh, to go further. When someone like is ribbing on you and you take it further, yeah. you look yeah. confident. You look like a baller. Oh, yeah. This person can take yeah. the joke. But if someone oh, yeah. gives you a compliment and you say no and you reject their compliment, you might think like you're being like humble or real. Yeah. But what you're doing is that you're saying that their idea of how you did it, of how you performed, was wrong. Gosh, I said it was great, but it must not have been great. It must not have been good. You're making them feel worse. And Mm -hmm. I don't know about you, Drew, but making someone feel bad is not an effective way to get them to agree with you or to like you. Uh, I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it quite work. I've never had the other way. Yeah. 
But the other way, we talked about compliments. If you compliment somebody in something that you really admire about them and then they reject you, that doesn't feel good. Like you have, you are denying them of the joy of giving you the compliment because it's a two way street. You should feel the good feelings. And because they made you feel good, they're going to feel good too. So how would you accept a compliment, Trevor? Do you have any things that you say when somebody compliments you? Do you have any, I have something that I say, fuck you. And then I just punch him in the face. (laughs) I'm like, this is the real world. And then I spit on him and then I, it just curbs up. (laughs) It's, so I don't have any set strategies. I want to hear yours specifically. But the easiest thing that, mm-hmm. again, I had to practice this. One of them you already mentioned is to simply just say, thank you. That means so much. Pause. Mm-hmm. Wow, thank you. Like you want to say what went wrong or you want to, I want to crack a, a joke. And I probably will after that. But I just say, thank you. I acknowledge what they said. It really just comes back to that. And then, for instance, we get a lot of, now that I'm hosting shows again, you get audience members. They come up and thank you so much for doing this. This is great. And and instead of saying what went wrong or oh, we wish it hadn't rain and thanks, it's just thank you. Thanks for coming. We we were not able to put on shows without people like you. Or when someone comes up and says, oh, I wish I could play music. I'm not talented. I don't have a musical bone in my body, and I don't want to be like we'll practice. You know, <laughs> it's easy. You just gotta practice. No, but what what do we say? We need people who appreciate music and who come to the shows. I think that's one of the most important things in all of music, or something to that effect. I want them to feel special because, and I'm not just saying that to like suck them up and donate more money to my organization. No, I genuinely want them there. I need it's them. facts. And I the audience is one of the most important parts of the collaboration. Mm-hmm. nothing else happens without them being there and them doing their part. So I want to feel them to feel like they're not just consuming, that they are also giving back and it makes them feel better. And they show up again at the next show. What are your strategies, Drew? This has to do with your confidence. This has to do with your sense of self-worth, self-esteem and self-love. If you can't take a compliment, you have to look at that emotionally. Why can't you take a compliment? Is it because your subconscious is always saying mean things about you to yourself? Do you talk badly about yourself? Do you insult yourself to yourself on a constant basis? Is it automatic for you to think terrible things about yourself? This is why we all need therapy, man. But it's it's important to understand these negative thoughts because when you hear a compliment and you resist it, it's because you, for some reason, don't think it's true. And one mm. way to really combat that is to take a moment when somebody says, that performance was one of the best I've ever heard of this piece. Just take a deep breath. Let it resonate in your body. Let it resonate in your psyche and accept it as truth because it is somebody else's truth. And then what I like to say is because it's different. If somebody did this to me once and it really felt good and it felt different, they said, I receive that. Thank Mm. you. If you, and you, and it's okay to receive it. I think. We want to be humble, but being humble isn't rejecting compliments. Being humble is understanding that you can always get better. The quest of improvement is endless, and this is 
the journey of life, it's not ever a destination. It's all about the journey. So if you can take these little moments of compliments, they're like pit stops. They're like putting gas in your tank, bro. Without gas, you run, you, you, you burn out. You can't keep going forward. Take these moments of compliments where people feel something about you and refuel your tank. And then maybe one day you'll get to a point where you can do it yourself too. Because every time you say something negative about yourself, you're taken from your tank. But try to find ways to, to stop that and let other people help you along the way too. So that's how I, I see receiving compliments. You just have to take a moment. I receive that and be truly thankful. Now, we've been moving on this subject very extensively. I think this was one of, honestly, one of our best episodes, Trevor. Like we, I feel we've deployed a lot of value. And we still have a lot more that we had planned to say, but I, th- I think I think it's, we should make this a part two. What do you think, Trevor? Part two. We let's hold part on two it. Videos. Maybe some yeah. final thoughts yeah. on these particularly four topics, like talking yeah, about recap. yourself, networking, yeah. maybe some hands-on things that like how people could practice this. And then mm-hmm. we'll continue on with some other things. What happens when something's going wrong? How to interact when the, the conversation isn't going well when you have a disagreement mis- more may- maybe mistakes we've made and then mm-hmm. some other specific things that are within the performing arts like rehearsal etiquette and other things like that so we can save that for part two and in fact other subjects we think of but yeah digging in so the thing i've referred to and we've referred to on this podcast a couple times is just practicing we know the value of practice we do it in music mm-hmm. if you're a musician on this podcast you're not practicing now that's okay. <laughs> or if you are, shout out. Shout multitasking. Out. Whoa, let's go. Let's I go. listen to podcasts and practice sometimes. Man, it's all, it's all, it's all <laughs> But we understand the value of practicing in music. It's, if we want to get better, we practice effectively. We self-tape. We listen to performances. We do the history. We do research. We do theory. We find a mentor. We do all these things because we know that's how you improve at something. That's how you excel. And yet when it comes to conversations... We just think, oh, we've been doing it our whole lives. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. <laughs> no effort is, which is crazy if you think about it. Just so many things we take for granted, like walking. We figured it out. Mm. You can improve at walking. You can mm. improve at talk. You can just because you've done things for a long time doesn't mean you're going to be good at it. Mm. We have to talk just to survive, but we don't do a great job beyond that. So when it comes to conversation, actual conversation. I'd advise practicing. Take some of those skills you learn from your job or from your, your practice in music or theater or wherever, whatever you do. You know how to improve at things. Use some of those for this. There's practice journals. And so what I started to do in LA, I don't do it now. I'm obviously not meeting with anyone except on this podcast, which we take lots of notes. And I re-listen to it back. That's self-taping. I edit that thing and I hear the stupid things I said or, wow, that was a great follow-up question or, wow, I didn't listen to them. I missed a moment and I didn't respond to it or I made their moment about me and not about them. And so both of us, we continually get back in the practice room. We're performing live. We're doing this podcast. Mm-hmm. And then we're listening back. We have to listen to yep. ourselves. Yeah, we're, it's wh- painful. It's painful, but it so painful. we've learned <laughs> And as the, as someone who's spent a lot of time editing this and Drew, who's yeah. edited his videos and, and content for years, yeah. I was like, Drew, how did, why don't you use all these verbal fillers? Like, why am I filling every single space? 
Dude, because I hated having to every two seconds have to cut in a dope in iMovie. It's which so took efficient. Like four, it's I, three hours editing because I just couldn't stop saying or I do this with my I do this with my mouth when I'm finna I say, say something. So you know, you know, you know, and it's literally a practical thing. I was sick yeah. of wasting time editing mm-hmm. verbal fillers. I wouldn't have been aware any other way until I started to edit the podcast. Mm-hmm. And Drew had already worked through that. He already came to the table. I saw the differences between us. I was like, wait a minute. This is something something you work on. This is something you improve on. Mm-hmm. Self-taping, practicing. The Uber driver trick, just talk to them. Drew's like the grocery store. Just random people, because you have no expectation. You're not going to bump into them again in your life. It's a great opportunity to make it a game. Make it fun. How deep can I make a connection with someone who I'm only going to be in close connection to for 30 minutes for the rest of my life? Can I highlight something on that too? Practice this with people who are typically unseen. That is the key as well. If I'm in a hotel and there's a housekeeper who's walking by me, I say hi and I smile. That's another thing we didn't cover, smiling. But saying hi and smiling... And just say, hope you're having a great day. And if they're chilling, they'll sit and talk to you for 30 seconds. You'd be like, hey, so where's like the best place to get food around here? Or you can just, you can literally make somebody's day by just taking the time to notice them. And at the same time, you're practicing your social skills. So look for people who aren't often talked to as well. Another way, again, I keep mentioning gamifying. It's what we do Mm -hmm. when we're practicing. It's Mm -hmm. the scales. Okay, I'm going to work on this key, which is in this piece. There are strategies to have these conversations. We've mentioned a few openers, something along the lines of, so what interests you? Or what, so what have you been up to recently? Mm -hmm. Or what books? Or what is your story? Any of these opening lines, it's good to have it. Another thing is, if you know something about them, lead with what's interesting, not the question that they're always going to get. It doesn't mean coming at, like, I'm not advocating left field, walk out and be like, I like your eyebrows. Then they're going to yeah. think you're a, a, you're a murderer. But you're coming in with something, <laughs> just something they're not always hearing, not the stock answer. Mm-hmm. You're not coming in there with what you want or with the expectation. You're coming in with something about them that can open and allow them to start the conversation and then you follow them. So in the sense of gamification, one of the last remaining tips from me for today is I'd go to these things and Drew's mentioning energy in the tank and the battery and our eco-friendly battery is I don't want to do this. I don't like, I like doing this, but I hate doing this. I'm so tired. When we went to that classical music party, which is really fun, I was starting off as like, oh, I just, I don't have it's it. Like, why are today. we here? Yeah, I was like, why am I here? This is a past part of my life. Yes, I'm like friends with the birthday birthday girl. And yes, like we're there and it's a beautiful place. And I knew I'd have fun, but I just don't want to do stuff. We know to gain energy, you have to expend energy. Mm. I'm here for a reason. We didn't just have Drew drive me and Uber to Santa Monica to get in Drew to go an hour out to not have a good time to not get something from this. And so I was like, I have to start having conversations to give me the energy to have more. And so at a minimum, what I simply did for all of these post-concert hangs, all of these social events in LA, all of these parties, is I, I set myself a minimum amount of people who I'm going to run through this connection sphere with. Mm-hmm. I will talk to five people. It helped when I was journaling. Okay, I talked to Chris. Okay, I talked to 
to this composer. Okay, I talked to this film person. Okay, I met this young 16-year-old who just moved here. Okay, I talked. Mm-hmm. And by just setting a limit, it took the pressure off of do I have to do I have to do something in here? It guaranteed that I put in the work. It guaranteed that I would have done my practice, that I would have put in the time. It can be whatever it is for you. It can be one meaningful connect. I just wanted to talk to at least five people because <sighs> odds are one of them would at least have an engaging conversation. And that's such a great perspective. I was at Catherine Joy's birthday party just the other day at Desert Rose, and I had the same thing. I was tired. I had just driven back with Michelle from Santa Barbara. We had a vacation over the weekend. The party started at 8. I was like, man, I'm tired. I've been up since 6 this morning. But I did it anyway, and I went in with the goal of speaking to a certain number of people. It was fewer than that, but especially people I didn't know. And that's the key. A lot of times people go to parties and they click up Mm -hmm. and they talk to only people that they went to school with, only people that they know. And honestly, at this party that we're talking about, this birthday party that you and I went to together, I mostly talked to people that I knew. I wasn't really trying to mingle with too many different people, but What's really important, if you're going to make this effort, like Trevor, you're right. If you're going to make the effort to go out, you need to talk to new people because new people equal new connections mean possible opportunities in the future, but the opportunities may have nothing to do with work. They could be life fulfilling possibilities. Like what Yaz said many episodes ago, you never know the true value of relationships like when you're first starting out. But those relationships could be the thing that inspires you to make your best work. It could be Mm. a relationship that introduces you to somebody who inspires your best work or becomes your wife or becomes your husband or becomes your lifelong friend or connects you to your lifelong friend. So you just don't know. And so it's important to let it go and just see what happens. It's beautiful. Musicians out there, talk to non-musicians. That's, Uh, I think, uh, one of the uh, biggest uh, things that I had to work on and that now I see is an asset. It's a skill set. It's what I contribute to a lot of our music business ventures we're doing online. I've spent a lot of time understanding everyone else, interacting with non-musicians. I got that from talking to these older people, from talking to these Uber drivers, that if they're interested in music, we can go down that wormhole. But practicing interacting with people who don't know anything about what you do, who don't care, they have no idea what a principal is in an orchestra, they have no idea what C major is. And I found that for a lot of, that's terrifying. I find it liberating. Because for me, suddenly, like what Drew said, it's I'm not expecting anything. We're all in the bonus here. And mm-hmm. some of the most amazing fun conversations I've had are with people who have nothing, no interest in necessarily in what I do and who know nothing about what I do. But another thing you'll actually find that counters my previous statement is that if, if you're a musician or a performing artist listening to this, everyone else kind of already gets what you do. It's not really interesting. And I think that's why these, why like a lot of like classical music events, like the conversations aren't great. They're Maybe so Maybe it's dry. because of the social skills of everyone else. But also when you're in Juilliard and you're, this is just a narrow example, but when you're in Juilliard talking about how you're in Juilliard, 
is the least interesting, dumbest thing out. Like you all have, it's like, yeah, bro, I got past security. Like I'm here. Your classical music proudness is like not interesting because everyone else there has that same thing. You listen You're to that int- new Kanye album? Who's Kanye? Who's Kanye? Is was he like the 17th century composer of the the blah 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 school? The first wait, school? you're a musician and you don't know <laughs> yeah. music outside of your little silo. Yeah, like what's going on? But there's Case so many more. examples of that, and so I've just had so many great instances. And now I seek it out when I'm at the, these events. I'm like, okay, hey Michelle, how are you doing? I wasn't able to effectively at this party because. It was just overwhelming. But I've gone to so many birthday parties of people I know. And Drew really hit this on the head. And I've since, again, made it like a game. I would go to a birthday function. And we were just in Central Park, someone's birthday. All of Amy's friends who I love because they're, they're not in music. If I say hello. We catch up. I know things about them. We've got rapport and history. The other half were this friend's classmates at NYU. They're all business, getting their master's in business. And so... No one's interacting between the pods. It's two friends groups put together. And I made sure to sit in the middle and I turn around and I just have a full one hour conversation. I was the only person to do that, to, to break the line. And I knew I was going to do it. I waited for the right time. They were like talking about something and they said the word diegetic. And I'm like, holy shit, these guys are different. Most musicians don't know what that means. For instance, if you're in a film, diegetic is something within the world. So if you're watching a movie, there's a score in the background, it's setting the tone, but someone turns on the radio and you hear what's coming out of the radio, that's diegetic music. The string quartet on the Titanic, that's diegetic music. And so here's a bunch of MBAs who just said the word diegetic. And so I literally turn around, I was like, hold up, did someone just say diegetic? Mm-hmm. That's, some, that's some big music words. Like, well, we got to talk about this. Like, mm-hmm. how'd you hear about this? And, and suddenly you know, I'm talking with them about Hook. And then they're like, yeah, my uncle plays at Verbier and he's the director of Verbier and like what? And like okay. all this like crazy stuff. Did I follow up on it? Not really. Yeah. But <laughs> as a connection, I added them on Facebook. Who freaking knew? But I had a great conversation with a bunch of MBA NYU grads about diegetic music and like the Hook film score and Home Alone and other crazy stuff. And they were, they're the future music appreciators. They're the ones donating to the concerts. But I made it a point to cross the picket line. Amy's always impressed. We go to, we show up at the party together and then like, we don't talk to each other the whole time. Because <laughs> she's never, she's, that's one of the things she said she admired in me was then she realized, wait, I haven't seen Trevor all night. He's just been talking to everyone else because then she didn't have to, she didn't have to babysit me. I made it a game to talk to all these people who are in sororities, who threw down, who sell medical equipment, like whatever. Mm. I just made it fun. I made it a game. And by doing that more, what does that give you? Confidence, Mm. more useful connections, Mm. more interesting stories, more meaningful things to talk about in the next conversation. It gets easier Mm. when you make it, when you make it a point to do, when you make talking to people just as important as going in the practice room. But so this has been a super fun conversation. I love thinking about these things. I love talking with it. You're a master of this, and it's great to watch you work. It's work the field, work, work the room. Bro. Work the room, bro. Work the room. You, you are incredible at it too. And I think a faking fam, if you continue to listen, subscribe, join our Discord, and just see how we interact with our guests, how we ask questions, how we listen to them and then respond. You can find gems. You can find gems on how to do it yourself. So hope you enjoyed today's episode. And Thanks we got a part again, two everybody. coming up. Look out for part two. Mm-hmm. Look out for mm-hmm. part two. Yes, indeed. Mm-hmm.